Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Did you know that if you're trying fasting or considering fasting and you make this one crucial mistake, you could actually not only ruin your hormone health, you could increase your risk of dying from a heart attack or stroke by as much as 20%. That's right. Listen up, because today on the Wild Wisdom Show, we're going to be talking about how to fast for hormone health and more. Welcome. I'm Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm a holistic medical doctor with a root cause approach to health. And today we're going to be talking about how to fast for hormone health. We're going to be covering why does fasting work for things like weight loss? Uh, When you do it right, it can work for hormone health, gut health, sleep health, brain health, and more. And the number one mistake that you want to avoid while fasting that will harm your hormone health. So first, let's dive into why fasting works, because it's actually a really, uh, depending on how you do it, it can be extremely powerful, um, but it's like a double-edged sword. If you if you use it the right way, it can be very useful, but if you do it the wrong way, like I mentioned before, you can really harm your health uh, in the short term and in the long term. So fasting as a uh, popular tool for things like weight loss and better health Uh, really gained awareness after, in 2016, the Nobel Prize went to a scientist, Yoshinori Osumi, and he discovered how our body gets rid of the garbage that accumulates within us. uh, And that's the garbage that just, you know, when when the body is doing its work, like it's doing its metabolism, uh, you know, taking in food, breaking it down to create energy, and then getting that leftover products and trying to get rid of it. It's like your body's like a house. You know, you buy your food from the from the grocery store, and you bring it into the house, and then you take the food from what it's packaged in, you cook the food, and then you have to get rid of all the packaging and the garbage, and you have to clean the dirty dishes. Well, your body does the same thing. And if it doesn't do that same thing, just like a house where you don't take out the garbage, over time that garbage will accumulate and get in the way of your house or your home properly functioning, the same thing will happen in your body. So that garbage are things like damaged proteins and damaged hormones that are no longer working and the body should get rid of it or else it can start to interfere with your normal body working. Broken DNA, which if you don't get rid of, can lead to things like cancer Um, cells that are no longer working and actually get in the way of other well-functioning cells, excess fat, which is where that ties into the weight loss, and so much more. So it's interesting that we only just discovered this function, and they called it a Latin word called autophagy, which means to eat oneself. So what we have learned since that discovery, because now, you know, the research community really focused in on that, is that autophagy uh, decreases as we age. And that's one of the reasons for aging. But you are, there are things that you can do um, to improve autophagy even as you age and also pr- to protect autophagy when you're younger because there are th- things that we do that actually harms autophagy at any age that we're at. 
And as that internal garbage starts to accumulate, uh, this hurts everything from our metabolism to our gut, our hormone and our brain health. So some of the early consequences, so it's not like all of a sudden you suffer, that, that garbage accumulates slowly over time. And one of the early consequences that some people notice includes weight gain as our metabolism starts to get impaired. Uh, for some people, though, it's interesting, they can actually start to um, lose weight, like too much weight. So it depends on your genetics, but it seems that overall, most people tend to gain weight. And then the late consequences of uh, decreased autophagy, the body's ability to clean itself out, get the garbage out, has been linked to diabetes, obesity, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, inflammatory diseases like Crohn's disease, and neurological disorders like dementia, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's disease. So when they study individuals with these conditions, and others, by the way, they have, uh, they have seen that autophagy is decreased compared to what it should be in these individuals. And so the good news is that we now understand what turns autophagy up, so you get more cleaning ability of the body, and also what turns it down, things that we want to avoid. And one very important factor that turns autophagy up is that autophagy is increased. So it, autophagy is not like an on and off switch, like, oh, now my body's doing autophagy and now it's not. It's more of like a dial where the volume gets turned up and down. It's only at zero when you die, you know, um, but as you age and if you have certain medical conditions, it can really be decreased that volume, right? And when you're in optimal health, when you're, you know, younger or older with really great health, that volume, that dial is increased and it's a nice high volume, but you also don't want too much autophagy, right? You don't want to eat oneself too much. So there's a Goldilocks zone with autophagy. And what's interesting is that autophagy is turned up when our body is not in the, in the uh, business or doing the work of digesting our food. Um, so either digesting uh, drinks that are caloric or food that is caloric. And so when we are fasting, like we are not eating, our body autophagy goes up, which is interesting because historically, um, you know, many traditions had fasting in, in their cultures and little did they know this, or maybe they did, but they didn't know the deep science of it. And now we understand that those periods of fasting, um, when fasting is done for longer periods of time, like a day or two days or more, uh, as long as it's not done for too long, it can be very, very beneficial. And I'll talk about the different kinds of fasting and the mistake you want to avoid when you're fasting. And I'll also be at the end covering some tips for successful fast. So stay tuned. So we don't want to spend uh, too much of our time during the day, the 24-hour cycle, digesting. So while eating too much is harmful, eating for too long actually is turning out to be harmful. So for example, most of us, many of us are eating when we get up and then we eat a few meals and snacks throughout the day. And then we eat something, you eat a dinner, we might have then a, an after dinner snack and that'll be pretty close to bedtime. So now you're kind of eating uh, or drinking something caloric, like a coffee with milk, right? Like a latte or a smoothie, those kinds of things. Um, now you're kind of, uh, you're, you're asking your body to be digesting a lot of time within that 24 hour cycle. And what we've shown is that that's not good. Our body actually needs less time eating during the day. And I'll teach you how you can do that in a healthy hormone protecting way. So because autophagy declines with age naturally, 
This isn't as much of a concern for young kids, although there is, you know, uh, uh, something to be said for children not eating from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed, but that's a different topic. We're talking about adults now. And so as we age, we in particular need to be more intentional about limiting the time during the day that our body spends digesting. So we're not talking about eating less. We're just actually talking about the time during which our body's digesting. So there are multiple different kinds of fasts and, you know, there's, um, and people get a bit confused, but generally speaking, there are some short uh, day long fasts. So like one day fast or two day fast, there are longer term fasts, like seven days and fasting is when you're not eating any or drinking anything caloric. Okay. So you are basically, uh, some people will do like seven day fasts. Those fasts are more um, medical, like for medical purposes. Um, in some cultures, that might be more common. Then there's intermittent fasting. You may have heard of that where you do what you fast on one day and then you don't fast on the other day, or maybe you eat a limited amount of food on one day and then normal on the other day and you keep repeating that pattern. And then there's what's called time restricted eating, which is what I want to delve into because that's a kind of fasting that you can do long term, like as a lifestyle, you can't do long term fasts where you go seven days without eating all that frequently before starting to run into a few issues with health. But time-restricted eating is something that you can do as a lifestyle, but only if you do it right. Otherwise, it can harm your hormone health. So time-restricted eating is when you give a, your body a break from eating for at least 12 hours within a 24-hour cycle. So for example, if you start eating at 8 o'clock in the morning, you would stop eating by 8 p.m. That would be a 12-hour uh, you know, fast between the time you stop eating and you start eating again within a 24 hour cycle. And we know that even that, even just limiting from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., for example, or 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., or 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., whatever that is, it improves metabolism, it causes people to improve their weight control, and it helps whole body health by increasing autophagy. So for some people who are eating from 6 a.m. to like, you know, 10 p.m., just that shift to an eight, you know, to a 12 hour eating window can be extremely beneficial, right? So what is the eating window specifically? It's the time between your first meal or caloric drink and your last meal or caloric drink in the day. And so yes, a latte would be included in that, um, uh, you know, shakes or oat milk and that kind of thing would, would be breaking your fast. Now that 12 hour window is actually safe for everyone. Even if you're pregnant and breastfeeding, because it gives you ample time to get in all of the nutrition that you need within that 12 windows, it gives you time for three meals and one snack, right? In the afternoon. So your first meal, your second meal, your snack, and your third meal. And so any person should be able to get their, the nutrition they need within that time period. And you can still be hydrating with non-caloric fluids uh, for the rest of the time, right? Outside of that 12-hour eating window. So for breastfeeding women, for example, they need to drink a lot of fluids. And sometimes if we're dehydrated, we think we're hungry, but we're actually thirsty. So if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're breastfeeding and you're hungry, actually that may be a body cue that you need to drink more water to, to keep up with the breastfeeding needs. And so some people will say, well, I've heard of fasting where, for example, I eat from 12 o'clock in the afternoon till eight o'clock at night. That's, that's a very, very common fasting, time-restricted eating. Uh, time-restricted eating, by the way, is a kind of a fast. So it's under the umbrella of fasting, right? 
So that eating window of eight to 10 hours is sometimes what people go down to if they want to do things like jumpstart their metabolism, jumpstart their weight loss. Um, so some people will go down to that 10 or eight hour eating window. That I would not recommend recommend if you're trying to get pregnant, if you are pregnant or if you're breastfeeding or if you have an eating disorder because that starts to get, you, you have to be very, very good um, at what you're eating in that eating window to make sure you're getting enough nutrition to meet your body's uh, requirements. And individuals with eating disorders, I mean, you have to tune into yourself, you have to speak with your healthcare provider um, and have some supervision if that's something that want, that needs to be done for like a medical condition like obesity, for example. But that psychology around eating can be easily triggered when you start to restrict. So that's where that becomes a little bit dicey and needs to be really paid attention to. Um, but uh, very often, this is something that people will do when they don't have those conditions and they want to lose weight faster. And when you're in menopause, for example, that can be something that is even easier to do because we do need um, our, our needs change and our metabolism changes as we get even older for women. So that can be very uh, useful for some individuals to jumpstart that weight loss. And then once you get to where you want to be, you decide if you want to go back to the 12 hour window or stick to that eight to 10 hour window. But I'm going to at the end um, give you a, a few tips so that you're successful with that in long term, because you can run into problems if you don't do this right. Now, if you are looking at uh, even less than eight hours, like some people will do one meal a day, that is something that maybe in the short term would be okay, but for the long term definitely needs to be done with a health professional, um, giving you the green light, giving you some supervision and some guidance because too much autophagy can be harmful. And people, this is the problem, people will start off fasting and they'll feel amazing, like all this energy, I feel so good, this is wonderful. But if you don't tune into your body wisdom, if you're not tuned into what's going on with your body, over time, you may miss the signs that your body is now saying, okay, I've had enough of this kind of fasting, I need more nourishment, I need more nutrition, can you please expand the window back to 10 or 12 hours, right? So you just have to be very attentive to it. I am not a proponent of one meal a day as a lifestyle. And I'll be showing you research is showing that that is just not the way to go for long-term health benefit. So now I'm going to dive into the number one mistake that people are making that especially, actually both men and women, I was going to say especially women, but I found a study that shows men as well that to protect hormone health with things like time-restricted eating and fasting, timing is everything. And I'm going to explain how that is. Now, I just want to say hi to everyone who's watching me live. Feel free to put in your questions in the comments. Thank you for joining me today. And I'd love to answer your questions if you have any. So this is a study that was uh, published in 2021. So right now it's 2024. And so this is relatively new. It takes about 20 years, uh, hopefully now less, for research to go from, you know, the research publication to being recognized by mainstream medicine. And this is called The Window Matters, a systematic review of time-restricted eating strategies in relation to cortisol and melatonin secretion. So basically, what this research did is that and I think it's amazing that they did this. So it's a systematic review in the sense that they got multiple studies who, that looked at time-restricted eating. So people weren't skipping days. They were still eating in the day, but their eating window was 12 hours or less. Okay, And what they found is that depending on how you did time-restricted eating, um, your, your cortisol hormone, which is a stress hormone, 
and your melatonin hormone, which is your deep sleep hormone, could be messed up. You could actually harm the health of those hormones. What we want is we want to keep the stress hormone low and we want to keep the melatonin hormone high at nighttime, right? Because what happens is that if your cortisol stress hormone goes too high, that can lead to other hormone imbalances like low progesterone because your body uses progesterone to make cortisol. So if it needs to make more cortisol, it'll use up those building blocks and you'll get less progesterone, which is your chill hormone, your calm hormone. And in uh, younger women, it's your pregnancy, maintaining your pregnancy into the first trimester hormone. And also what happens is that too high cortisol leads to um, like stress on the body. And actually one way you can concretely see that is hypertension, high blood pressure is from too much cortisol running in the, in the blood. And too low melatonin at night can lead to insomnia and problems with sleep so that you may be sleeping, but you're not getting enough deep restorative sleep. So your eyes are closed. You think you're asleep, but you're not getting that deep sleep that really helps the body to heal overnight. So if you have too high cortisol and or too low melatonin, what that leads to overall is more inflammation. And inflammation is a root cause of almost every single chronic disease of mankind at, uh, at this point, of humankind. So we want to avoid that. And so what this research showed uh, is that when people were eating, when their eating window was later, so they were skipping breakfast and eating their dinner later. So they're if you think about that 12-hour, 8- to 12-hour window, and they were shifting it later, so by skipping breakfast, their cortisol levels in the morning would go higher and higher because the body was having a stress response to not eating breakfast. And because they were eating later in the day, when you're eating uh, too close to bedtime, that disrupts the rhythms of the body. The body has what are called circadian rhythms, circa uh, around 80 in the day, circa the day. And we have rhythms. And one of the rhythms that the body does optimally, it functions best with, is if you stop eating um, about two to three hours before you go to bed. And that allows your gut to finish that initial digestion, go into a bit of rest digestion mode, and it allows your melatonin to be secreted and, and get you into sleep mode. Okay, so when you eat too late, it actually interferes with your digestive health and your sleep health because the digestive process interferes with the circadian rhythms of the, of the sleep patterns. So they found that these people had this very clear pattern of too high cortisol and too low melatonin from doing this, which was kind of fascinating. And so what are the end results of this? Like, what will this result in? Well, this study, uh, which was published in 2015, actually looked at women who were skipping breakfast. And what happened was that, again, in the short term, they get these great bursts of energy because they're skipping breakfast. They're breaking their fast around noon or later. And what they found was that they would get that energy mostly because the cortisol was going up. But then if you keep doing that, the cortisol starts climbing too high and these women developed hypertension. So that was not a good finding of the study. And then this other study is the one that ties in men and women. And I find this just to be fascinating. Uh, it's called Skipping Breakfast and the Risk of Cardiovascular Disease, which is heart attacks and stroke and death a systematic review of prospective cohort studies in the primary prevention setting. So basically what they found, did again is they looked at all of these studies of people who are skipping breakfast and they were trying to find out, is it healthy 
to skip breakfast because some a lot of people, like I mentioned, when they're doing time restricted eating, what to what they'll do to restrict their eating is they'll skip breakfast and break their fast around noon or later. And what they found was that that timing of when to break your fast was not good. Did you know that they found that in men and women, people who skip breakfast and ate their breakfast and ate their dinner later as a result had a 21% increased risk of dying from heart attack or stroke and a 32% increased risk of dying from any disease, any cause. And why? Because of the hormone imbalances and the increased inflammation, right? Inflammation is a massive root cause of strokes and heart attacks and heart attacks are the number one cause of death in women over 50. So this is really, really important. So this is something that we need to pay attention to. And I'm going to teach you how to fast and protect hormone health at the same time. And in order to do that, you need two very important considerations. Now, I have here a comment from a viewer, uh, Marie Pierre. She's saying, I'm almost never hungry at dinner, maybe because my baby wants to eat at five. Do you think it will be hard to meet my protein intake in only two meals? Thanks. So that's a really great question. Um, so your protein needs depend on your weight. And also you need to have a minimum amount of protein per meal. Now, I don't want to get into how much protein per day everybody needs, because you know what, right now that is so incredibly controversial. Like, for example, people are saying one uh, gram of protein per pound of body weight. So if you're 120, um, if you're 120 pounds, you would need 120 grams of protein. Um, I personally think that's a bit excessive. I think that there are certain situations that could benefit from higher protein and others that don't. But generally speaking, we are generally eating um, maybe enough protein at dinner, probably almost definitely not enough protein at breakfast and possibly lunch. So you would be looking, you would need to get, if you're eating two meals a day, at least 30 to 40 grams of protein per meal. And I don't know what your weight and I wouldn't be able to, you know, come up with a calculation on the fly here, but it, 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 you have to be very intentional and you may need to add a snack in between that includes protein in order to hit your protein targets. And as we age, our protein needs do go up. They don't go down, they go up. So uh, this is something that is important. And I'll do another show in the future talking about optimal protein. But um, when you are fasting, you have to make sure that every meal has like a really good amount of protein in it. So you don't go into a protein deficit, which can harm hormone health as well, because your muscle mass influences your hormone health, which is another topic for later. But it's just important to know that that does matter. So how to fast uh, and protect hormone health. Again, two important considerations. Consideration number one is shift the eating window earlier. So, and you have to break your fast before 10 a.m. so that your body feels like it had a breakfast. It didn't go too long in the morning without eating so that it doesn't get that increase in the stress hormone cortisol. So, you know, it's not saying eat your breakfast at eight. You could break your fast at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock, right? And then if you're eat, doing a 12-hour eating window, uh, or no, sorry, an eight-hour eating window, then you would uh, your last meal would be at six o'clock in the afternoon. So rather than going from 10, 12 o'clock to eight o'clock, you'd be eating from 10 o'clock to six o'clock or from, you know, nine o'clock to five o'clock. So with someone like Marie, uh, who uh, put in her comment, if she's 
finishing her meal. If you're starting your meal at five, you're probably finishing at six, right? Um, and you've got a baby with you. I don't know if you're breastfeeding, but in that case, you you know you would want to be having your breakfast around six o'clock in the morning. That would give you enough time. If you're no longer breastfeeding um, and you're wanting to like do jumpstart some weight loss, um, then you know you could do that eight-hour eating window or ten-hour eating window. But again, you want that first meal to be before ten a.m. So you don't get that high cortisol response. And then tip number two has to do with the melatonin, protecting the melatonin levels for deep sleep is don't eat after 8 p.m., right? So you've got two kind of hard edges that you want to respect. Don't eat after 10 a.m. for your breaking your fast and don't eat any later than uh, 8 p.m. That includes snacks and caloric beverages with any kind of milk, nut milk, anything like that in there. So I'm going to give you some examples. Let's say you're going to do a 12-hour eating window because that's a good start. And actually, you think like that's good health maintenance. You know, even if you're in great health, that's a good thing to target. And so 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Let's say you want a 10-hour eating window. That could look like 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., right? So when you start eating isn't your dinner isn't what you, when you count that eating window. It's when you stop eating your dinner that you count as being the end of your eating window. If you want an eight-hour eating window, then you would go from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., right? So if you're someone who likes to eat uh, meals with your family, right, you start your meal around 7 and you finish by 8, um, you're not going to be able to have an eight-hour eating window, right? Because that would mean that you would be going from 12 to 8. Because while that might feel good in the short term, over the long term, that will hurt your hormone health. Sure, maybe for a couple of weeks or something, that could be okay. But if you do that as a lifestyle, that's going to cause you to get that increased risk of hormone imbalance, heart attack, strokes, and increase all cause of death. So if you're thinking of doing like a medical program with a doctor that's supervised for a short period of time for a medical condition, you can do shorter fasts, absolutely. And maybe you don't have to respect that starting by 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. window. For example, in the Ramdan, right, they, um, they, they don't eat during the day. They just eat after, before sunset and after sunset, right? Um, but that's a one-month event, right? So it's not a lifestyle. We're talking about how do you fast, how do you do time-restricted eating long-term in a way that protects your health long-term? So now I'm going to give you three caveats and two tips for successful fasting. And if you join me live, this is the time to put in your questions because it does take time for you to for you to press enter between that and me seeing the questions and I don't want to miss them and you join live so you do get that act added bonus. So caveat number 1, do not do a less than 12 hour eating window if you are attempting pregnancy because you don't want to go into a stress response if you're trying to get pregnant your body will say you know what now's not a good time to be pregnant because I'm stressed. <laughs> so don't do that if you're trying to get pregnant. Do the 12-hour eating window, okay? If you are pregnant, right, you need to get that nutrition in for the baby. So you don't actually have to eat more calories until your last um, trimester, but you do need to eat extremely high-quality food when you are pregnant. It is not a time to go nuts and eat sugar because, you know, that's that seems to be a, a way of thinking. And I know I did with my first pregnancy. Um, but actually, when you're pregnant is when you get really intentional with the quality of your food to build a healthy baby. 
And also you don't want to do it while you're breastfeeding. That 12 hour window is enough. Okay. And again, if you have an eating disorder, unless you have medical supervision, right? So if you have like an eating disorder with obesity, you might do some fasting, but you have a doctor following along just for your own safety and, and comfort. Caveat number two is do not do less than eight hour eating window unless you're met, have been medically cleared or you're supervised by a health professional who really understands this. I know it's super tempting sometimes to do that because we're just so desperate to do things like lose weight. Um, and there's some really great resources online like the fastingmethod.com with Dr. Jason Fung, who is a um, uh, medical doctor out of the University of Toronto. That's where I did my medical school training as well. And he has an excellent online clinic for people who want to do these fasts. However, um, last time I checked, this was a couple years ago, he wasn't teaching people to not break their fast after 10 because that research is m m more recent. So I'm not sure if that's been incorporated into his program, but they do provide that, um, that uh, you know, training. They have the training and the ability to give you that guidance. So that's one thing to really know. And caveat number three is your health does not depend just on fasting. What you consume during that eating window really, really matters. Okay. So for example, in order to build hormones, you need, as Marie mentioned, enough protein, right? You need protein to build hormones. You need healthy fat to build hormones. You need healthy carbohydrates. Okay. And if you are wondering what that means to the healthy carbohydrates and all those things, you'll want to catch my last episode called How to Eat for Hormone Health, where I really go deep into this topic. Very important. I highly recommend catching up on that video if you haven't seen it yet. Or if you're listening to this as a podcast, it will have been the most recent podcast. You need minerals and you need vitamins. So you need to get enough whole foods during your eating window, which means that you want to cut out the ultra processed foods, drinks and sugar, because those are really non-foods. They're actually anti-nutrients. They can actually harm your health and undo all of that good work. So while you may be experiencing some benefits from fasting, your whole body health, your foundational health could be eroding if during that eating window, you're eating ultra processed foods, too much sugar, too much alcohol, that kind of thing. And so, and then you might be tempted to overeat at a meal because you're trying to get all of your food in at once, you know, trying to get all your nutrition in while during those two meals, for example, you should not eat past feeling 80% full. That is an old uh, Japanese Okinawan tradition where you're eating until you're 80% full. Um, and because it takes time for that fullness signal to get from the belly to the brain. And when you overeat, that also harms your digestive health. So that just means that what you eat has to be very nutrient dense. And so, for example, I'll cook my rice in bone broth. I'll make bone broth and cook my rice in bone broth. When I eat my rice, it is very nutrient dense, much more so than when I eat just plain rice. So that's an example of how one can increase nutrient density um, with, with the same food, right? And a uh, sourdough bread um, has much more uh, nutrient density than a regular refined white flour bread, right? Because the uh, fermentation process, um, when the little creatures eat the flour, they, they actually create B vitamins and ketones. And so a piece of sourdough bread is much more nutrient dense than a regular piece of bread. So just giving you some examples of what nutrient density means. You have to get so good at that. Very, very important. I'm also going to give you um, two tips. 
So tip number one is to have a successful fast, drink lots of fluids, ideally water, okay? Don't drink a lot of carbonated drinks because carb the carbonation in that water is uh, like carbon dioxide. It makes that, that carbonated beverage very acidic, like a pH of four compared to water, which is seven. So it's more acidic uh, than even tap water. And over time, that will harm your body health as well. Okay, so regular water, and I do have a video on how to mineralize your water at home, add electrolytes to your drinking water so that it is more hydrating. You're less likely to get hungry, you know, when you're when you're outside of your eating window. So definitely in the fasting window, you want to hydrate really well. And then in between meals is when you really want to hit the hydration hard as well. No more than two and a half liters to three and a half liters for larger people. Um, you don't want to overhydrate, but hitting that uh, two and a half liters for you know um, smaller average size people to three and a half liters for bigger people is around the amount that you're target targeting. Tip number two is that water, tea, and black coffee, as long as these do not have any added um, you know sugars or milks or nut milks or soy milks or oat milks or any kind of milk, they do not break your fast. Everything else does. However, it's not like, again, remember, it's not like autophagy gets turned off when you break your fast. It just turns down the dial. And so drinking something will turn it down less than eating something, right? So just to keep that in mind. Now, the take-home message today is that an earlier eating window with good quality food and hydration, proper hydration, allows you to fast and get the benefits of fasting while protecting your hormone health, your gut health, and your sleep health. So what more could we possibly ask for, right? So thank you everyone who joined me live. Thank you, the viewer and the listener for joining me today. If you enjoyed this, please uh, save, subscribe, and share. Sharing is caring. You never know how you might influence uh, the life of someone else you share this with for the better. Uh, knowledge is power. And wisdom is knowledge in action. So I look forward to seeing you at the next show. And until then, have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, or night. Goodbye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe and please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you and I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. <laughs>